0: This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 325.
1: I pictured my retirement, you know, working till I was 60 something and living off my retirement. And I realized very quickly that that wouldn't be the case. And so I kind of had a moment of panic and I realized, you know what, I think real estate will be a great way to supplement whatever I'm putting aside. Turnkey provider pretty much the the easiest way to explain is that they flip properties to investors. So um, pretty much they'll buy a property under market value, they'll put work into it, and they'll sell it to an investor who's looking for a property that pretty much needs no work, might need a little bit, and you can ask them to do things that come in the inspection. Um, And they usually come with property management included as well.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony J. Robinson.
2: And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And we've got a great episode today. Um, we've got Sam Dolcini on the podcast. And uh, Sam actually runs a podcast of his own called The Black Real Estate Dialogue. Um, and uh, as soon as he came on, I could tell that he had a little bit of experience behind the mic because he was just so smooth. And you know, he delivered his story so well. And I was like, man, this, this guy's got a, got a great story. But all right, so you guys are going to love this conversation with Sam. He's going to talk about Red flags to look out for in potential tenants and how he almost got scammed by someone who wanted to rent his property. You'll also get to hear Sam talk about red flags in a property, and you'll hear why he pulled out of two potential deals that he already had under contract.
0: We start this podcast a little bit differently, talking about Sam's idea of retirement. So he actually went and pulled up his portfolio online for his 401k and Played with the little tools and buttons they have on there to see what he would actually have at retirement. (laughs) And to say it was uh, not exactly what he wanted might be an understatement. But then he makes one phone call, and this one phone call gets him his down payment on his first investment property. And one other thing I want to mention about Sam is this whole episode is you are going to learn all of the ways that he analyzed a market and did it so efficiently and saved himself so much time during that process too.
2: So before we kick it over to Sam, I just got to give a shout out to our amazing Ricky audience. And and guys, Ash and I mean this from the bottom of our hearts, the Ricky podcast would be absolutely nothing without our listeners. And we're so incredibly grateful and thankful for you guys when you take time out of your busy schedules to leave those reviews on. Apple Podcast, wherever it is you're listening. Uh, so I want to give a shout out today by someone of the username JRSmith2012. And uh, JR says, the best information out there. Thank you for providing so much useful information. I haven't made the first purchase yet, but I'm in the middle of moving to a new market and I don't think I would be as confident as I am without this podcast. Keep it coming, guys. So uh, if you are a Ricky listener, if you're a dedicated Ricky listener, even a new one, and you found some value in our podcast episodes, please do take just a few minutes out of your day and leave that review because the more reviews we get, the more folks we get inspired to start their investing journey as well.
0: And for today's social media shout out, it goes to Drew Brenneman, D-R-E-W-B-R-E-N-E-M-A-N. You can find him on Instagram at his name. And he does a great job of showcasing different real estate strategies and methods. He also has a podcast called The Brenneman Blueprint. So go give him a follow and check out his page. I love that we do these social media shout outs now, and it's not to get the person followers, but it is For you to build your own network of like-minded investors, being able to learn from them and also watch them grow, you will not believe the motivation and inspiration and everything that you will learn just from filling your social media feed with actual real estate investors, especially rookies, and being able to connect with them. Trust me, as entertaining as memes are, this will be way more beneficial to you. Okay, now let's get into our show and we are going to bring Sam on.
3: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much
2: at Airbnb.com slash host. Rent to retirements is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased, and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit rent That's rent. T-O retirement.com or text R-E-I to three, three, seven, seven, seven. Again, text R-E-I to three, three, seven, seven, seven. Rookies 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC, but you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Head over to CorporateDirect.com slash pockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's CorporateDirect.com slash BiggerPockets.
0: Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: It's an honor. It's a pleasure to have this opportunity, and I'm excited to get into my story, and, and I really appreciate you, you two hosting me today.
0: I want to start this podcast off a little bit different today. And the first question I want to throw at you is, what did you picture for yourself for retirement?
1: Yeah. So initially I pictured my retirement, you know, working till I was 60 something and living off my retirement, my 401k primarily, you know, at the time I didn't have any visions of owning real estate or, you know, using rental income. I just assumed that my, you know, putting away however much percentage at work would would do the job. Um, and I realized very quickly that that wouldn't be the case. But initially, that's that's what I thought.
0: So, are you on track now to get that type of retirement? Is that kind of is what you pictured actually happening to you right now?
1: What I pictured at that time, absolutely not. You know, I came to a realization, uh, at work at my desk that. What I was saving, you know, projecting out, you know, my raises and things of that nature, it wouldn't last me that long based on the lifestyle that I envisioned living with my family in retirement. Um, And so I kind of had a moment of panic, and I realized, you know, what I think real estate. Will be a great way to supplement whatever I'm putting aside um, from my job or whatever, is whatever it is I'm doing. Um, and honestly, I'm glad that I came to that realization uh, because life is a lot more different now uh, than it was five years ago when I when I came to that realization.
0: Can you expand on that a little bit more of what that realization was for you, that moment in time?
1: Yeah. So I was at my desk at work and for whatever reason, I decided to go check my retirement account. And they have these calculators where you can project out, all right, if I put away, let's say 5% and you know these are the raises I make over the next 30 years, what, how much will I have? And then the second step was, how much do you want to live off of? And so I put the number in and in less than 10 years, the money would have been gone. Um, and so I'm like, you know what? I have to Figure something out. So I started reading different things, and I'm like, you know what? Maybe real estate is the way to go. And so I live in LA, been here about seven years, and I tried to get pre-qualified and I spoke to like a mortgage guy, and he's like, hey, you might be able to get a condo somewhere, but you pretty much can't apply, can't you? Can't get anything right now. And so I'm like, all right, I don't make enough money. Like, what's the next thing? And so I started looking online. Like, are there other ways people are investing in real estate? And I came across some information about people investing out of state. And I'm like, wait a minute. I, I I didn't know you could invest out of state. I thought you had to live near where your properties are. And my point of reference was the landlord where we lived at growing up, his house was right next to the building that we lived in. So I figured that's just what it was. And so I spent about 12 months just learning everything I possibly could. Bigger Pockets was very integral in that. Um, just learning everything I could about investing out of state. And 12 months later, I purchased my first out-of-state property. So that moment of panic turned into research. And then that research turned into a, my first out-of-state property 12 months later.
0: I have to say, what a great uh, moment of panic to like create <laughs> that realization. <laughs> Yeah. You know, 12 months down the road, you have your first property.
2: Yeah. I I think a lot of new investors, they get stuck in that analysis paralysis, right? Where they, they never really get to a point where they do pull the trigger and 12 months turns to 18 months, turns to 24 months, turns to 36 months, turns to decades, right? So I, I guess, Sam, and this is a, a question that I always like to, to ask people because I, I think it's super insightful for the listeners, but you you have this realization, sitting at your desk, realizing the money is only going to last you a decade. You go on this journey of self-education. At what point did you... Realize that you were ready to actually take action? Like, was it, do you remember that moment where I was like, okay, this, this is the, this is the moment where I'm actually going to submit that first offer, or this is the moment where I'm signing that, that first purchase agreement. Like, how did you know that you were ready to move forward? Love that question. So the first thing I did when I realized,
1: all right, I'm going to invest out of state. I did two. The first thing I did was I put my student loans into forbearance and I was paying like hundreds of dollars. So that helped me save about 6k. Um, And so fast forward, I'm researching, I'm trying to find markets, and I got introduced to some folks in Dayton, Ohio. And so I went out for a visit, uh, looked at the market, did market research. They sent me some reports, and I'm like, all right, I need to speed up this timeline. So I get the bright idea to call my retirement plan. I'm like, hey, how can I get access to some of this money? They're like, well, you have a couple options. You can withdraw however much and pay the big tax penalty or You can borrow up to 50% of the balance. And I'm like, wait a minute. If I combine what I've been saving from not paying student loans plus what I can uh, borrow from my retirement plan, I'll have enough for a down payment and I can get into this Dayton market much quicker. And so I did that the same summer that I went on that visit. I'm like, you know, I got to get into the game. And so once I had the money, I knew I was ready. Um, And then, you know, a couple months later, a property came on the market that fit my criteria. And I just I just went for it. So, you know, I think for me, once I had the money, I'm like, all right, I need to make this thing happen. Um, But all the while I was preparing and then that moment came during the summer where I'm like, okay, I can add to what I've been saving already. Let's do it.
0: Sam, when you decided on this during your analysis, why did you pick Dayton, Ohio?
1: Yeah, so it's funny. So I had a Google Doc with just a bunch of markets, uh, most of them in the Midwest or some parts of the South and i heard uh i was listening to a podcast and they were like you know if you want to buy turnkey properties reach out to us we can introduce you to some folks i'm like okay let me just let me just do this so they introduced me via email to folks from memphis and then from dayton ohio the only reference point i had of dayton ohio was sometimes the ncaa tournament basketball was played there but i didn't know anything about the city i didn't know anyone there um and so The folks from Memphis didn't reply. The folks from Dayton did. They sent me uh, information on the market. So just about, you know, infrastructure improvements, how much they're investing in downtown, the percentage of renters, which was 60% renters, 40% owners at at the time. Um, And I took that information. I did some my own research just on the market and, and things that they're doing to improve the city. And I also noticed that it was situated geographically in a very interesting place. So Dayton is in between Uh, Columbus and Cincinnati. So Columbus to, I think the North and then Cincinnati to the South. Um, And so for me, I'm like, you know what, there's enough information here where I think this could be a good splash. Plus it's not popular. You know, when I was on the bigger pockets forums, there weren't that many people talking about Dayton, even though a lot of my research was confirming that this is a good market to invest in. And so once I went out there to visit, you know, I got to see some properties, got to see the city and read about and see all the things I was reading about. I'm like, you know what? I think this is a good opportunity to make a splash. I didn't want to overthink it too much. I'm like, you know what? I have the connections here. Let's just make it happen here. So that those are some of the reasons that I chose Dayton and it's it's paid off very well. You know, it's a great market and uh, I definitely intend to invest there more.
0: What's a great resource of information of getting the market data presented to you from the turnkey company that has saved you so much analysis right there. And then you're just going and verifying the data instead of starting from scratch. So I think that's a super useful tool as to someone, especially if you're using turnkey, is to ask them for the market instead of saying, "Okay, I'm going to analyze these five markets, do my deep dive. Okay, I picked this one. Now I'm going to go to the turnkey company and talk to them about the actual property itself. I already know I want that property. You did an amazing thing and you went and, you know, wanted market data from a couple of them and one got back to you and the data was great, but it, what a great resource and very efficient. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, Sam, actually, if you don't mind, can you define what what a turnkey provider is? Like, like how, like, what the heck is what does that even mean? Turnkey. Yeah, yeah. So a turnkey
1: provider, pretty much, uh, the, sh- the easiest way to explain is that they flip properties to investors. So, um, pretty much, they they'll buy a property under market value, they'll put work into it, and they'll sell it to an investor who's looking for a property that pretty much needs no work, You might need a little bit and you can ask them to do things that come in the inspection. Um, and they usually come with property management included as well. Um, and so for my first deal, I'm like, you know what? Obviously the downside is that you pay at the market pretty much. However, I'm like, this will get me into the game. This will help me to build up my confidence. And then perhaps on my next deal, I can take on a little more work and things of that nature. So for me, it was a good way to get into the game. Um, I by nature am very risk averse, which is funny because I'm I'm investing from thousands of miles away. But you know, I'm like, I need to get into the game. This seems like a relatively safe way to get into the game. Just start making some money, build my confidence up, and then I'll go from there. So you know, I I'm glad I went that route. Um, I did learn thereafter that I could find Turkey properties on the MLS. Uh, But you know, based on what I knew at that time, you know. It was it made sense. And if I didn't do that, we probably wouldn't be sitting sitting here today.
2: Sam, let me let me ask a a follow up question. Uh, First, I appreciate you breaking down kind of the, the pros and cons of the turnkey approach, because for some people that maybe don't have the time, desire or ability to find, you know, distressed assets, rehab them. Get them placed with a tenant and, and kind of do all that work. Turnkeys do solve a need for a lot of those people. And I've met some investors who all they do is turnkey. Like they've got very busy day jobs. They got maybe a high salary. You know, they've got like a, a big shovel to dig with in terms of uh, the income they have coming in. So for them, it's easy to take that money, dump it into a turnkey property, not have to think about it. But I would love just to kind of get the, the 30,000 foot view. Like say that Tony and Ashley wanted to invest with the same company or a similar turnkey provider. What's the kind of step by step process? Do I just like su- subscribe to an email list? Is there like a Facebook group where they're posting all their stuff? Like, what does this look like to, to buy from a turnkey provider? Yeah. So typically
1: uh what'll happen is you know, you'll reach out to them, share that you're interested, and they'll get you on an email list of different properties, um, how they they'll do some back of the envelope math for the cash flow and things of that nature. Um and so they will get you on an email list. A lot of times they give you the option of coming out and seeing properties in various stages of rehab, which is what I did. So I got to see some stuff that was fully gutted, some stuff that was halfway done, some stuff that was done just to get a good sense of their work. And typically, you know, let's say you find a property that you're interested in, you know, the price is the price. So the, you know, one of the cons is that there's not any negotiation. Like the price is the price because of course they have to make um, you know their profit. Uh, however, you know, you can get your inspection and have them fix things that need to be fixed um but typically that'll be it and if you decide to go with their property management um what I did was I went with their property management because I wouldn't have to pay a lease up fee um and for those who don't know what that is pretty much a percentage of the first month's rent is what you typically would pay to a property management company or to uh, a leasing agent so I'm like you know what let me do that with them I'll try it and if they're not that great I'll get rid of them which I eventually did but at the time it made sense um so that's typically how the process will work Um, And then they'll just hand you over to their property management and, you know, you'll get the statements of monthly and and they'll place tenants and things of that nature. Uh, When I purchased mine, there was a tenant there in less than a month. Uh, So I think it closed on the 15th and a tenant moved in within like two weeks. So they do the tenant placement and things of that nature as well. That tenant was great that she stayed maybe like a year or two years, maybe like about two years. Um, but that's typically how 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 it works, high level.
2: Just quick timeline perspective from the from the moment that you said, Hey, I'm interested until you actually, you know, closed in that property and owned it, what was the time frame there? About 30 days. So it was quick. It was quick. So I by the property. Yeah.
1: It was super quick. So, you know, I had like the financing you know, the, the lender I was going to go with and everything ready. Um, the inspection took place, the repairs that I wanted them to do took place. Like they turned it around pretty quickly. So we closed in about, in about 30 days, which is, which is crazy. So I went from 30 days before not having any property, finding a property, closing, signing all the stuff. And 30 days later I was a landlord. So it's pretty crazy.
0: Do you think part of the reason you were able to do that so fast was because you felt more comfortable since you visited Dayton. Can you kind of give us your opinion on what, you know, first of all, what was the cost to actually go there? Did you fly there? Did you drive there? Did you have to stay overnight? Um and going there and was it worth it to go and actually be on the ground and like visit the area and see their properties or do you think that you could have you know, done just as great of a job of picking a property and having it being sight unseen.
1: Love that question. So I found a lot of value in going out there and it's not the easiest place to get to. Like I had to get a connecting flight, I think in Chicago and then the next flight down to Dayton um, from LA. But for me, it was important to visit because again, like you got to think about it. I don't, I didn't know anybody investing long distance. Like I was the first, like I was making a, taking a big chance, you know, I didn't know anybody who was doing that. And so to me it was great because I got to almost like put my hands on it or like check the city out for myself, like drive around and see what's happening around the city. And the person from the company, she drove me all around, you know, I got to check out the city, go to different places. And to your point, as you mentioned earlier, like verify a lot of my research. So I verified a lot of what they sent me online but then to see it in person for me personally it was great it was great and so i, I definitely think i could have done it sight unseen i know a lot of people do i mean i haven't seen the last place i purchased yet um but you know for me for the first time it was super important to go out there and and see it myself and i felt good i felt good after i went there i'm like you know what like i know 100 percent that this is this is where i want to be this is this is what i want to do
2: Sam, if I can, if I can ask, right? You you mentioned that the turnkey was, even though there were some some cons to it, there were some pros as well, right? Like getting that that first base hit, kind of building your confidence to be able to do this on your own. So, I guess let me let me ask. Even though you didn't necessarily find the the distressed property, manage the rehab, place the tenant yourself. I'm assuming that you probably still picked up some things along the way that kind of prepared you for that next deal. What were some of those initial lessons you learned on that turnkey property that you feel kind of prepped you for for the next one?
1: Yes, so I think the first thing is to have more confidence because I eventually visited that particular property about let's about 14 months later. You know, I, I was like, you know what? Let me just come back. Let me see how it's going. Let me. put my my eyes on the house, see see what it's like. And the management company was really acting like I was a nuisance. You know, I was trying to get access to the property and eventually my boots on the ground, who I also met on BiggerPockets, she went with me to the house and we just checked in on the tenants like, hey, you know, we just wanna make sure everything is cool. And I had been debating letting go of the property manager and self-managing. And that was really confirmation that I could, I should just try it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just find another management company. So that's one thing I learned um, just to follow my instincts because my instinct was to move on. Um, But after that visit, you know, I think I sent them like a 30 day notice and and we we parted ways. Uh, So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I would say I learned is that I could find turnkey properties on the MLS. So the next deal, I'm sure we'll get to that. I uh, found a realtor and and we we went that way. Um, so you know, again, I I went based on what I knew at that time. And I always tell people like know enough to get to the finish line. You don't need to know everything. You know, make your decisions based on what you know. Um, and so if I could do it again with what with what I know now, and obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty, I would just go with the realtor. And you know, you have more negotiating power that way, and and there's just more flexibility in what you can do and and pricing and things of that nature. Um, so those I would say those are the those and then the last thing I would say is that uh, just to get started like you know I for me it was important to start right even if I made like 300 bucks a month like at least I started and I can figure out how to get better deals over time, how to improve things over time, which is what I did. So I would say those are the things that that I learned.
2: Sam, you you said something know uh, enough just to get to the finish line and I, I like that saying and I, I might even tweak it just a little bit to say, know enough just to take your next step. Because I, I think that's where a lot of rookies get stuck is that they 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 sometimes do want to see every step straight to the finish line, but you oftentimes don't really know what you don't know. And as long as you kind of have the confidence to put that one foot forward and the next foot forward, that's how you start to to make progress. And it, and it seems Sam that that's kind of how you you navigated this situation. 100. That's exactly what I did. So I want to I want to touch a little bit because you you said that you got rid of the uh, turnkey property management. And are, are you still currently self managing that property? Yes. Yes. Okay. So l- let's talk about that because you're in California. Uh, Ohio is I'm like thousands of miles away. Um, so how are you remotely managing this property? Um, given that you know you've never done it before, like what were the steps you had to take to kind of teach yourself with tools, automations? Just tell us the whole experience of self managing uh, from multiple states away. Absolutely. So the first thing I had to do was find a platform to
1: receive the rental payment. So prior you know what, how the, how the property management works is, you know, they just send you the money via ACH. So it's in your bank account every month. Um, and so I switched the tenant over to apartments.com and, you know, sent her an email, letting her know, Hey, you know, I'll actually be managing the property now. And at that point I had put her on a six month lease. Like she had asked to be on a six month lease and, you know, that ended early, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that. Um, and so from the logistics standpoint, that was pretty much all I had to do. Um, and just make sure the payments were redirected. And, you know, the management company sent me her security deposit and, and what I had in reserve. So from that perspective, it was pretty seamless and it was all pretty simple until she left. Um, so it wasn't that much I had to do as far as uh, switching her over.
0: As far as like the maintenance request, I'm hoping that since it was turnkey, there wasn't a ton of maintenance. But did you have almost like a Rolodex of you know, vendors or handyman that maybe the other turnkey providers have used, or how did you handle maintenance requests?
1: I'm glad you asked. And I actually did not have a Rolodex. And shortly after I took over, there was an <laughs> issue with <laughs> there was an issue with um, the with the furnace. And so I get a text or an email on like Sunday night saying, "Hey, like, and this is the winter, the middle of the winter." And she's like in the Midwest, so she's like, "Hey, um, the heat is not." The heat is out, and and I'm I'm, I'm just like freaking out. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" So I start googling, just like who can fix a heater, and I just start calling around, calling around. I finally found somebody to go out to the property on that night and figure figure the situation out. As a matter of fact, I think they had to come in the morning, so she didn't have heat that night. But they came the next morning and fixed everything. Um, And so I I did not have have like a rolodex of anything at that time. I was really starting starting from zero, but thankfully that was like the only, that was the only incident that took place while that particular tenant was there. And she probably stayed another five months after that.
2: Asha, I wanna get your insights on this piece too, because um, when when you manage your properties yourself, uh, at least when you first start, you oftentimes don't have like a Rolodex of, uh, HVAC, of plumbers, of electricians, of general handymen to do all these things. Um, and you, you do kind of have to scramble like you did, Sam. Like, let me just open up Yelp and find as many as I can and see who works. Um, and, and that's been our process too. Like, you know, we, we self manage all of our short term rentals. And I remember the first time we had like a big maintenance issue in Joshua Tree that like our handyman couldn't, fix we had to like source i think it was like an hvac issue uh similarly and you know we had to call a bunch of different people and the first one we found they were able to get it but we didn't really like working with them and then the next time we had an hvac issue we found someone else but it's like as these issues kind of continue to pop up in your business you do start to build your own rolodex and now we've got like a, a like a, a list of all of our preferred vendors. So now anytime something happens in our business, our VAs have a list of just who to call, who to text, who to email, et cetera. So it does kind of build over time. But Ashley, I guess I'm just curious for for you on the property management side, was it similar for you as you kind of built things out or, or how did you kind of manage the whole vendor piece?
0: Even today, there's, you know, different towns where, you know, a contractor will say like, oh, I don't go that far or something like that. And then you do have to find somebody else to kind of fill that special skill set. Right now, my biggest tool is referrals from other investors or even just other contractors, just anybody that would use a maintenance person. My mom is actually great on Facebook. She's in all the neighborhood uh, Facebook groups, and she'll just like send me a screenshot of be like, oh, this person recommended this person, <laughs> you know, in this town for, you know, to build their deck or whatever it may be. Um we have the same thing. We use Monday.com and we keep like just a, a list of people. Uh, anytime that my one business partner, Daryl, he sees a truck, a van, anybody driving, or will go and get coffee and they have the big tack board with business cards. He will take pictures of that and then he will put it into our list of different vendors. A lot of these we've never even used, but we have them there in case we need to. And Yes, it is cold calling them, like those types of people we don't have any referral for, but at least sometimes it gives us a, a starting point as to to who to contact. But I think another great way if you don't know anybody that's investing is going into the bigger pockets forums, going on to the neighborhood Facebook groups and ask in there, I'm looking for a plumber in the area, does anyone have a recommendation? And you will get a ton of people just listing listing listing. One thing I would watch for is like, make sure it's not only the wife of the plumber that's making the recommendation that it's actually somebody that, you know, used their services.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess let, let's, let's kind of lead into this next piece because you, you hinted at it a little bit, Sam, but I'm, I'm curious what, what was really, I guess, the journey of like that tenant turnover. So after that first tenant leaves, what does that, what does that look like? What do you do next?
3: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
2: Hiring your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're trying to close on your next
3: rental, so
2: why is your insurance
3: company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit
4: steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers one hundred twenty-seven million dollars. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today.
1: To be honest, like that was like the toughest experience that I've had, and I'll, I'll explain why. So, pretty much, what happened was the tenant ran into some financial issues, and she decided she asked if she could um, end her lease, end her lease early. Um, and I'm like, you know what? Cool. Like, she's paid on time, fine you know, just make sure the place is clean. And, uh, I didn't charge her a fee or anything. She gave at 30 days later, she left. And so my boots on the ground, uh, who I, who I mentioned before, uh, her name is Courtney. Shout out to Courtney. Uh, I met her on uh, bigger pockets and she's, she's like my aunt in the Midwest. She's great. Uh, and so she did the checkout process with the tenant, just, you know, make sure the place was in good condition, got the keys and everything. And she said, Sam, there is a smell here. It it smells like the dogs have been doing their business inside. And at the time there was carpet, there was carpet. And in the lease, the tenant was supposed to shampoo and wash the carpet, which they did, but there was like a stench. And so I was talking to an investor friend of mine. He's like, the first thing you want to do, rip that carpet up, get some vinyl plank flooring. I'm like, okay, fine. Um, And of course, you know, I had to paint the place and I found somebody on Facebook and inside of one of the day in, uh, investor groups, who is you know handy woman? She shared that she sent me some pictures of her work. She says she can paint. I'm like, cool, you can paint. Um, and so the big the first mistake I made was, like I said, I have boots on the ground. She's an investor there. She's awesome. I didn't leverage her enough. So the 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 handy woman she was sending me pictures of you know paint different rooms painted and things of that nature. And at the very end, when she said the job was complete, I had the boots on the ground go there. And she's like, hey Sam. She missed this wall. She missed this room. And what I should have done is had her going like throughout the week. She could simply have gone on her way back from work to verify all the information that I was that was being shared with me. And the, the next thing was the flooring. Right. So I had to rip the, the carpet up and I was talking to her. She's like, oh, you know, I could do this, too. And I'm like, all right, cool. Go. You know, let's let's do it. So we you know, had an agreement on what I would pay her. Um, I bought the materials. I paid her for the labor. Once the job was done, that took forever because I was not utilizing my boots from the ground. And it seems so obvious, but for whatever reason, I just wasn't doing it. I don't know if it was pride or, or maybe being too timid or whatever the case is. And um, eventually she got that done and a couple other things, but the process took like over a month. And quite honestly, it should have just taken a few weeks. Um, and so that period of time in while there was a vacancy was very difficult and stressful because I wasn't managing the person doing the work properly and wasn't using my resources I had to get the job done quicker. So eventually we got it done and, um, you know, rent in the area went up like 50%. So that was great. But, you know, I, I fumbled, I fumbled big time just with how I managed that, that particular, um, contractor.
0: Did you say the rent went up by 50%?
1: Yes, if I calculate correctly. So, with the <laughs> <Yeah>. previous tenant, <laughs> let's let's test my theory. So, the previous tenant was paying nine hundred plus fifty dollars pet rent, and the next family that moved in, they were paying uh, thirteen ninety five, and then uh, including pet rent, fourteen forty five. So, they're paying fourteen forty five. I think that's fifty percent. You can check me on that. Yeah, it's cl- close enough whatever.
0: for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's quite a big... That's that was awesome. crazy. Yeah. So that was
2: the light at the end of the tunnel. Right.
0: <laughs> right. It's yeah.
2: actually 52% just to be exact. <laughs> okay. so even, even better <laughs> of course, to
0: Tony up. had to do the math.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: And Tony is so smart. He did that in his head. Yeah, all of my know. head.
1: Yeah. <laughs> gen- you got a genius but, um, on our hands. <laughs>
0: yeah. So let's let's talk about that portion of it is to changing that rent now did you go in and did you list the apartment for this after pulling comparables in the area what other things were listing for did you rely on your boots on the ground what was that process of deciding what to list the unit for
1: you know what's funny i had listed it before everything was complete for like 1200 and then i took it down after like a week and i'm like you know what let me actually make sure This person finishes everything and everything is good to go. It's cleaned out and everything. And I looked on the market. So what I typically do is either look on like Zillow or Redfin, look at at homes for rent in the zip code that are three bed, one and a half or two bath. And then I also go to rent meter to verify everything. And so I saw a property, similar square footage in the area that was like $1,395. I'm like, wait a minute, this has to be a joke. And so I looked and I'm like, no, this is actually a real listing. So I'm like, you know what? Let me try and see what I can get at this price. Um, And so I put the price up at $13.95. And the way that I learned to do it, I I used to do just individual appointments, which is a huge waste of time. Um, So what I do now and what I eventually did was just open houses. This is the day, this is the time. Come see the property. That's it. Um, And so I'm like, you know what? Let me see if I can get this much rent. And so it was up on the market for maybe 3 or 4 weeks and i found the right uh i found the right people um after almost being scammed um and they were down to pay they were down they were down to pay it um and so i just tested the theory and I, that's typically what i do like i try to go a little bit higher and see what type of results i get and if i don't get a lot of traction i drop the rent a little bit and just you know see how the what the inquiries look like um but yeah i just it up there and i'm like let's see you know let's test it for a few weeks and see if people will bite and you know i've had the same family in there since 2021 and i'm actually sending them a new lease this year um they're gonna they're gonna stay there and they've been they've been great tenants
0: sam you can't use the word scam and not uh educate us on how we <laughs> yeah. cannot get scammed <laughs> read, learning read from you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm happy to happy to share so i use Apartments.com um, for the management and also like to receive applications. So whether the leads come from Facebook, which is where most of them come from, they are directed to Apartments.com to submit their application. Um, and so there was this one particular applicant, and I'm looking through the documentation and the did the IDs and the W two or W nines like they're not matching. Like the names are all different, but they're all claiming to be one person. Um, and so I kind of followed up on it and it was just kind of like a weird vibe. I was trying to verify it. And the person was kind of pestering me like, you know, Hey, I, you know, I really want to rent this place and this, that, and the third, but I'm like, the information is not matching. There was a split second there where I almost like kind of took the next step. I'm like, wait a minute, something's not right. You know what? No, I can't move forward with these folks. And you know, uh, it's important to, especially if you're doing your own tenant placement, just to verify all the information, you know, even if you got to like Google and look online, you know, i go through everything with a fine tooth comb, just to make sure everything I'm looking at is is correct. Um, and so, you know, basically the person tried to, I don't know if they are putting a family member's information or, or whatever the case is, but the documentation was not lining up and they were really persistent with me about their desire to rent the property, which was another red flag. So I'm glad that I, uh, at that decision point, I'm glad I decided to go in a different direction, but yeah, I mean, some people will just try to do that.
0: Tony, I think we need to do an episode, uh, maybe a rookie reply on tenant red flags instead of dating. <laughs> <red> flags, <laughs> yeah. 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 So it, Sam, I, I think maybe this was probably the same in your situation, but a lot of times it's better to have a longer vacancy than to rush and take an apartment or take a tenant just to fill the unit. So Anyone who's going through that process right now, really think about that and wait for it's better to wait for the right tenant than just to get somebody in there where you do have that like back of mind, like I'm kind of taking a risk here. They really don't, um, you know, meet what I want, but I want to get somebody in there. And, you know, it's not always the case. It's not always, you know, somebody awful. I rented in a unit once to somebody who I was like iffy about like they just barely met the screening criteria. And they lived there for two years. And when they moved out, the woman cried to me and said, Thank you so much for taking a chance on us. We just bought our own house for the first time ever. It was her and her two kids, and we're moving there. So, like, that's not always the case, but I think it would be good if we did an episode on red flags. So, you know, can kind of, because there's a lot of times I've looked back and been like, Man, those, those red flags are there. I didn't see it.
2: And honestly, like that, that message, the, the message, Ashley, of, of patience I think translates to a lot of different parts of being a real estate investor. Like sometimes we get so focused on the money right now that we, we start to maybe make poor choices. Like, uh, I rushed and hired a contractor because my usual guy was like, Hey, Tony, I can start in four weeks. And I was like, I need someone to start today. And I end up having to pay two contractors because the first guy didn't finish the job the right way. Um, you know, so there, there's a lot of instances. People who maybe pull the trigger too soon on a deal because, like, hey, I want a deal today, not realizing that a, a better deal might be right around the corner. So, I think that idea of just patience as a real estate investor is probably something we don't we don't talk about enough. Um, but, but with that, Sam, I, I want to transition to deal number two because we, we we got through some of the trials and, and triumphs of your your first deal. But um how did that first deal then prepare you for the second deal, and what, what did that one kind of look like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I actually took a couple of years and sat out just sat on the sidelines and in the fall of 2022 my wife was like hey you know what when are we, when are you going to get more properties i'm like oh all right well i guess I, I guess i should and at the time of course like interest rates were going up and i'm i consider myself kind of a contrarian thinker so i'm sure you guys know like people are on the sidelines right now so for me i'm like this is the best time to get in you know if i can find a deal that will pencil and and cash flow regardless of the interest rate we should buy something. And so I started my search in September, 2022. I found an investor friendly realtor inside of a Facebook group. And, you know, I just started looking at looking at deals.
2: Is that also in Dayton, Sam? Also in Dayton. Yep.
1: Also in Dayton. Um, And so I was looking for about six months. I was under contract twice, backed out of those deals. And I finally closed on that next property in February of 2023. Um, But yeah, I, I bought that that next property. And, you know, the interest rate is about 7% almost, but, you know, the cash flow is great. I think it rents, it rents for 1370. The mortgage is 690. So the spread is pretty solid on it. Um, and again, you know, I decided to get in because everybody was going the other direction. So for me, it's like perhaps less competition and perhaps sellers will be willing to do more um, and negotiate more. Um, and so, you know it was a great opportunity and got that rented a couple months after had to do a little bit of work on it um but yeah it's, it's going well it's going well so far and happy to dive a, bit, dive a bit deeper into any any part of the deal too
2: yeah, first I'll say seven percent today honestly isn't all that bad. I mean, I've got a, a short term rental regis refinance at like eight point seven percent, which is like pains me to say. Um, so seven percent, you know, and I'd be happy to get seven. But just just really quickly, um, you you mentioned that you pulled out of two deals before you closed on this one. Can you just like you know run down like what were the things you saw during that due diligence or both of those due diligence periods that, that made you want to pull out? Absolutely,
1: absolutely. So it's funny the two things that. The two deals that didn't work out actually inspired me to create a pretty expansive walkthrough checklist for things that I missed while walking through my, my realtor. I usually get on FaceTime and I, I don't care if it takes an hour or a half or go through every single thing on the list. But the reason I backed out of those properties is because uh, structural issues, they both had structural issues. So as my inspector, and I've worked with the same inspector since 2019, um, he's actually helped me avoid like multiple uh bad properties. And I was actually referred to him through a Bigger BiggerPockets forum. Um, but he called me on one of them. He's like, Hey, Sam, I'll stop the inspection right now. I'll just pay you for my time. Do not buy this house. He's like, you know, as I'm going up the stairs there, it's leaning. There's all types of structural issues in this property. This is not safe for somebody to live in. And so that was
2: one of the properties. The other property. Wait, I just, I just want to clarify. You said that the the inspector called you and said that? Yeah, he called me. He said, Hey, Sam, I'm like going through this. He's like,
1: <laughs> I, if just pay me for my time, you, I do not recommend buying this house because the structural issues in here are ridiculous.
2: I've never had that happen. Ashley, have, have you ever had an inspector <laughs> call you and say, don't buy this?
0: No, they usually don't give their opinion <laughs> or they, <laughs> so it, they tread around it.
2: <laughs> yeah, it must have been bad for an inspector to say, don't buy this. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I respect him because of that. Because I mean, hey, if he did the whole inspection, he gets all his money, right? But I think I paid him a couple hundred bucks. Like, I don't even think I paid him 50% of what the full cost would have been. But he's like, hey, Sam, like, I know you're out of state. I don't want you to get taken advantage of like, this is not a good, good, good deal. Um, and on the other property that we backed out of, it also has structural issues. And the inspector recommended that they have a structural engineer go out and verify, you know, the findings, what he found. And so they had someone do that. And I sent the inspector their assessment and the, the structural engineer was pretty much like, it's fine. And I called the inspector, I shared with him. He's like, he was pissed. He's like, you know, I can't understand how somebody who's licensed could make such an assessment because of X, Y, and Z. It's very clear that, you know, this is a structurally compromised home. And he just felt like they were trying to just pass off the problem to somebody else. Um, And so I ended up backing out of that, that particular deal too. I mean, there were other things, but the main thing was like the structural issues. And I'm like, you know, I'm not going to buy a property where I have to do all these things because of the structure and something that probably would be end up being a money pit. And in fact, on one of the deals, the seller discounted it by like 20, 25,000 after the inspection, which told me pretty much everything I needed to know. They're willing to cut the price to pass on such a big problem to somebody else. Um, and so, you know, those two deals didn't work out, but it led me to the final one, uh, which, which did work out, thankfully.
0: And Sam, to clarify, this was an inspection from like a third party service that you hired to do this during your due diligence period. This wasn't part of your bank financing or funding that they required you to do an inspection at all.
1: Good question. Yeah. So this was like an independent third party. Um, So I've I've used the same guy for like four years. Um, But on one of the properties, I'm glad you mentioned the bank financing, like the bank let me know like, hey, we're not going to finance this property with this structural issue. Um And so that that's what helped me get out of both. I think at least one of one of those deals, if not both, just saying, hey, like the bank is not going to finance this. I'm not moving forward unless you guys fix it. And they didn't want to fix it.
0: Let's let's walk through that real quick. So you must have notified the bank that there was the structural issue. And then because they all say wouldn't have known anything about your third party independent inspection. Correct.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I also was trying to find ways to get out. You know?
0: Yeah, that's a, a great strategy. Cause you in your contract you must have had a contingency saying that if you did not get bank financing that you could walk out of the deal. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it's so great to have these protections in place and also finding ways to kind of get those protect protections to work for you. But yeah, that was a great strategy.
2: Can we just expand on that really quickly like the the contingency piece and for folks that maybe aren't super familiar with that. So, like when you when you sign a purchase agreement for real estate, typically there are, there are multiple contingencies found inside of that purchase agreement. It's going to vary from transaction to transaction, but some of the basic ones that you'll find are there's typically a due diligence period And where you as the buyer have your opportunity to do your inspections, to walk the property, to gather additional information that you couldn't before you submitted your offer. And if you find something... That you feel is important, you can then either renegotiate with the seller or you have the ability to walk away if you guys can't come to an agreement. So that's a big one that the folks use. You have your appraisal contingency. So if the property doesn't appraise for what you have to under contract for, again, you can try and renegotiate. And if you guys can't come to an agreement, then there's an opportunity to step away as well. Then you have your financing contingency as well, to where you can say, Hey, if I can't get a bank to give me money to buy this thing, then I have the, the option to walk away, which is why, you know, the quote unquote cash buyers often Times are able to submit lower offers because there's more certainty with the deal that's cash because it doesn't have the appraisal contingency or the financing contingency that some of these debt-based uh, offers do. So I just want to clarify that because we were throwing around the word contingency, uh, but just to, to break it down for folks.
0: Tony, I just made a note to make that an Instagram reel. I'll make sure to tag you because that was great. <laughs> 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 great. I was like that'd be a great Instagram reel idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we we'll get at least one of those per episode.
0: <laughs> well, Sam, I'm going to take us to our rookie request line. And anyone can submit a question to us at uh, biggerpockets.com slash reply. And you can enter your question or you can send a DM to Tony or I or leave it in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group. So today's question is from Molly Allred. This is a question for out-of-state investors. What tools or methods did you use to determine where to invest? We live in a ridiculously expensive area and would like to invest out of state in an area without such a high barrier of entry. My husband and I are both from Michigan, but I don't want to necessarily limit my search only to Michigan. We live in Colorado and are currently house hacking our primary residence. Well, that's exciting. Congratulations on the house hack. So, Sam, what would be your advice Are what are some of the tools or methods that you have used to determine where to invest out of state?
1: Absolutely. So the first thing is uh, narrow down your region. So I would say look in the Midwest and look in the South just to get started. And the next thing you want to do is what are the major cities? So if you're looking at Michigan or Ohio, what are the major cities and then what are also the cities that are in between. So like, what's outside of Columbus? What's outside of Cincinnati? Because you may not necessarily be able to afford inside the main city, but a lot of times they're like, I don't know if you call them maybe tertiary markets um, or secondary markets within a particular region, Um, you know, that can give you some more options. So the the third thing you wanna do is, when you find a couple of cities you're interested in or, or cities outside of the major cities you're interested in, what is happening in that market? is the city investing in itself? Are there employers coming there? Are they improving the infrastructure? Are they um, putting things in like bike lanes? Are they putting in new parks or or redoing the parks? And any city that's investing in itself will always have a website about it or have, they'll always want to publicize that. So for example, in Dayton, I think the website is downtowndayton.com or .org. They show every single thing that they're doing, all the investments that are being made. Um, So that's the next thing uh, that you want to do. Um and then all, then of course you want to see what are the prices of the homes if you want to buy a multi-unit or if you want to buy a single family what are the prices of the homes are those within your budget and then what are the rents you know what is some what is the cash flow that you can get um you know what's the estimated cash flow that you can get based on the type of property you want to buy um and so once you have that information and if it looks good enough to you then you want to build your team um, You want to get an agent or or a wholesaler or go direct to seller yourself um, and then go from there. But as far as finding the city, those are like the four or five things I would say that'll help you get to get a good start.
0: I just Googled it and it is downtowndayton.org too. But yeah, just at a quick glance, like there's here's a blueprint of what we're doing to our city and things like that. Yeah,
2: Sam, what a great breakdown of like (laughs) how to to choose a a city to invest in. I think just one thing I'd add to that, right, is that uh, typically when people invest in real estate, they're balancing three different motivations. You have cash flow, you have tax benefits, and you have appreciation and people you know, will, will rank those three motivations differently depending on your unique situation. If your big focus is cash flow, then yeah, maybe going to the Midwest is a good play for you. If you want appreciation and tax benefit, then maybe some of the more expensive markets make more sense for you. So I think before you can even try and whittle down of the 19,000 cities in the United States, like which one is the right choice for me, it's really getting clarity on what are my motivations, what are my goals as a real estate investor? And then from there you can start to, to make some more informed decisions. And I love listening to people that are. Smarter than me when it comes to like data and economics, and like Dave Meyer, um, you know he he runs the on the market podcast, employee of Bigger Pockets, wrote the book Real Estate by the Numbers, incredibly smart guy, and uh, there's tons of blog posts that he's written. On the Bigger Pockets blog about different markets that investors should be looking into. He's done YouTube videos about markets. There's a lot of content out there about um, where should you look. That people who are smart of Dave Myers uh, have already kind of looked into to, to kind of give you a, a leg up. So love your answer, Sam. Just wanted to add that for folks as well. Love that. All right. Well, let's uh let's finish things off here with our our rookie exam, Sam. So you've uh you've killed this interview so far, but I'm sure you'll crush it with the exam as well. So these are the three most important questions you'll ever be asked in your life. So Sam, are you ready for the rookie exam? Uh, I was I was born ready. Let's do it. There you go. All right, man. Number one, what's one actionable thing rookie should do after listening to your episode? So if you want to invest at a state, start looking for a market.
1: You know, Tony and I gave a couple tips. Start looking for a market as soon as you finish this episode.
0: I think that is a great piece of advice. And Sam gave you guys every possible way to actually take action on doing that. Okay, next, what is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use?
1: Uh, apartments.com, you know, it's free, it's pretty simple to use, um, you know, tenants pay their rent that way and there's no checks or anything like that. And it's pretty seamless. So uh, that's one one tool that I use that that I really like.
2: Sure. And then last question for you, Sam, where do you plan on being in five years? That's a, that's a great question. So in five years, I
1: definitely uh, want to have picked up a couple more properties. You know, I, I love real estate, you know, it's a wonderful thing. And I also realized that I don't necessarily want like 20, 30 doors. You know, I want the fewest number of doors with the highest amount of cash flow. Um, so that's, that's my goal. Um, and so hopefully, you know, in five years, I'm, I'm closer and, you know, have a handful more properties um, in, in my portfolio.
0: So Sam, what are you most excited for in retirement? Like now that you have your blueprint to achieve it, because we started the episode out with what you thought retirement was going to be for you. And now that that's changed and you're kind of on a different path, what what are you excited about most?
1: Yeah, I'm excited to just relax, you know, and, and hang out with my family. You know, hopefully my wife and I have some children and maybe even some grandchildren by then. Um, but I would say, you know, I want to use real estate to buy time. You know, I think that's the most important thing. That's the most important thing we have. You know, you can't make more time. Um, so hopefully, you know, my wife and I can retire earlier through real estate and other other ventures. And I'm just looking forward to just enjoying life, you know, doing what we want to do, traveling where we want to travel and living where we want to live. And I think it's possible uh, through real estate, especially if you look further down the line. I mean, rent's only going to go up, you know, we'll pay down debt even more. Um, so that's, that's what I'm looking forward to.
2: Awesome, Sam. Well, hey, brother. We're we're excited to see you go on that journey, man, and and hopefully we'll get you back here on the Rookie Podcast when you've you've reached that uh that retirement milestone and you can give us the update. But um, I want to finish things out by shouting out this week's Rookie Rockstar, and this is actually a name you might remember from episode 297 of the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. But it's Olivia Tati, and Olivia says just went live almost two weeks ago on our first out of state long distance real estate investment property. Which we use private money to fund. So they had someone else fund this entire deal for them. Uh, my best friend and I DIY, uh, renovated this property ourselves. Um, she said two little ladies, chains and toilets, vanities, electrical receptacles. We had no clue what we were doing. Uh, but thankful to the bigger pockets and real estate rookie community and the podcast for lighting this fire in us. So again, if you guys want to hear, uh, Olivia's full podcast episode, head back to Ricky 297.
0: Well Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you?
1: Absolutely. It was it was a pleasure to be on the platform. Like I said, uh Bigger Pockets was really Integral in me getting started and building out my network and boots on the ground and all those things. So I just want to say thank you for the opportunity. And uh, if anyone wants to keep up with me, you can find me on Instagram at Black Real Estate Dialogue. Uh, send me a DM uh, after you listen to this. Let me know what you think, and would love to connect. And if I can answer any questions, would love to do that. Um, and you know, happy to come back at any point uh, if I could be of of, of service. So really appreciate. This opportunity and and thank you too for for a great interview.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's Rookie Podcast. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson on Instagram. And we will be back on Saturday with a Rookie Reply. Yeah.